Welcome to Second Act Podcast. Second Act, it's a continuation, yet an evolution. It's finding meaning, fulfillment, and a deep sense of purpose. Through these podcasts, I like to invite people who have experienced their second acts, found a bigger purpose, and are ready to share their stories, as we truly believe learnings happen through conversations. It is my honor to introduce Vishwas Parchure, an experiential educator. He loves to make people uncomfortable, and that is getting them out of their comfort zones. Summarizes it very beautifully in his 31 years of his being an experiential educator. We will explore further with him what is being an experiential educator after all. He started Play for Peace in India, which is from conflict to compassion, again, an initiative that uses play and laughter to build safe environments in communities. We will talk a little bit more about this, in fact, as well during our chat with Vishwas. How I know a bit about Vishwas is being a student of him myself. I'm doing a program called DEEP, which is Diploma in Experiential Education and Practice by him. And it's a very beautifully spun program. Lots of insights, lots of deeper meanings, and lots of questions of actually being a facilitator and being in this space. Welcome, Vishwas. I am really happy to have you on my podcast today, which focuses on the second act, which is the bigger meaning and a higher purpose, as I said. So let me begin by asking, what is your second act? Nice. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. I'm assuming that you, uh, that I can make my own meaning about what second act means. Yes. Uh, the assumption then is that there was a first act and my first act, I guess, was uh, in the corporate world. My second act since 89, no, 86 has been in education and that includes classroom. I've been a teacher, I've been a corporate trainer, I've been an outdoor educator, I've, I've done some adventure and my second act continues to be that. The nature of the adventure keeps changing but I think I've stayed in this field that uh, we call experiential education. Okay, that's great. So if I understand correctly, when you say experiential education is mostly outdoor or would you think experiential education can be brought indoors as well? I think the common uh, connection that is made is that experiential education is outdoors. I'm sure a lot of it is because it's an exciting space and most educators, classroom educators have not explored that space. I think my trip has been to see if we can bring adventure into the classroom to all the experiments that I've uh, conducted in my own life and in my own work. I believe that it's possible to bring that sense of adventure and exploration into the classroom. So I think the short answer is no, it doesn't have to be outdoors and adventurous. That's why uh, people like me join in your courses who hear so much about bringing this experience into the classroom itself. It's a great work that you're doing. It's, uh, you know, normally when I have also met a lot of facilitators in this uh, space, people do not want to share enough. A little bit knowing about you and the work that you're doing, you're all to give it out. How does that happen? Why are you not one of those facilitators who say, I'm not going to tell you all my secrets? I'm not afraid. 
I don't see the marketplace and other people in the field as a threat. I can't say I was born that way, but I can, I can tell you this, that I hear what you're saying and I've seen similar things. I think very early I noticed that, um, you know, each person, each facilitator brings very different things into the classroom that will define them. So I think the quote that I often use is, uh, and this, uh, this finds uh, real meaning in almost everything that we do, not just in the training or uh, education, that consciously we teach what we know and unconsciously we teach who we are. That's beautiful. So yeah. if somebody is looking at just content, then they have, I guess, the marketplace is big. But if they are looking at the person as well, then I think choices narrow down to a few. So how did you actually begin this journey? Where did you think that uh, Vishwas was that educator who wanted to bring in experiences and, you know, people who are in this space? When did you discover that? I don't know if I describe myself that way even now that I want to bring experience. Okay, let's just say I, that's what I do for a living Yes, I think what really began the journey was when I uh, dropped my corporate job and went to teach in the school. So I'd been trekking for a few years before that. And uh, on one of the school trips, I took a bunch of 11th graders into the mountains for a week. I think that really began it. What I saw, what I experienced, what I saw happening to them. Uh, before, during, and after that experience, it, it excited me. I don't think, uh, you see, at that point in time, I didn't even know till much later, really. I mean, it took a decade of doing stuff like this uh, for me to uh, be exposed to the fact that this field of education existed. I was just doing my own thing at that point. Facilitators like me, are, and especially very new in this field as well, leaving my corporate job, after 25 years, just because I enjoyed this space. And I see there is a lot of transformation that happens along the way, which brings in higher happiness and a bigger meaning for me. But I just struggle with getting creative ideas or like, you know, blending with your audience. You don't know what to bring in. How does one do that? I mean, how do you do that? I just bring myself in. I don't think about what I want to bring in. I, I begin with a very clear intent that uh, people are spending their valuable time wanting to learn something which they believe I have. And therefore, I need to be there 100%. So uh, my intent when I walk into a room, and I'm just going to say walk into a room because uh, I think things will get back there. But uh, for a year, it's been, uh, you know, walk in front of the screen. Uh, my intent is great. And that's it. That's, that's what I bring there. That I see myself in your classes, because when the classes are stipulated for a particular amount of time, normally people will just switch off quickly as soon as the mm -hmm. time is up. And you're one of those very rare people who go the last, literally the last. And I think that's commendable about you. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, the way I describe it is I'm the captain of a ship, right? Yeah. So I leave last. That last bit, that extended bit, is really for people who have been triggered in some way or the other during uh, that conversation or during whatever I've been talking about. And then uh, some people want to resolve it then and there, or they have questions. 
And uh, if, if my intention is to create disequilibrium, then I have to respect the questions that arise as a result of that. And that's why I give that time. That's pretty much it. That's my reason for hanging in there. No, that's great of you because not normally, like I said, people don't do it that way. So it's a, another thing that I take, take out from your sessions and a person who knows you a little bit better now. So thank you for this learning as well. Um, my joy. <laughs> we spoke also about your initiative, which was in the space of building communities and safe environments, Play for Peace. Give a little insight about what is this initiative and exactly what you're doing with this, this one. Play for Peace was started in uh, 1999 by a bunch of people who had a dream. There was, um, there was this, a lot of killing going on in the Balkans at that point in time. Heads mm -hmm. Govinia and, you know, that area. One of these experiential educators had a dream. And the dream was that there was a lot of destruction. People were being killed. Neighbors were killing each other. And uh, suddenly, on a particular morning, a red ball, uh, now imagine a ball, a red ball the size, let's say five feet diameter, it suddenly fell from the sky and started bouncing around. And when it came to somebody close enough, they kind of hit it, and then it went to somebody else, and it bounced around. And suddenly, uh, people started coming out of their homes in this desolate, burnt, you know, buildings, this bombed out area. And then uh, people came out and they just kept hitting that ball and the red ball kept bouncing. And then the children came out and uh, the children started playing. And what she saw was this circle of children playing with that ball with, with the adults forming a circle around them. And at that point in time, when they were playing, uh, they didn't think about who was next to them. Was it an enemy or a friend? They just played. Experiential educators who've been in this field for a while know that uh, play, something magical about play. It crosses boundaries, creates a playing field. So I'm talking about play, okay? I'm not talking about uh, competitive gaming. We need to take this, this thought. I mean, what does it mean? So they sat down and Play for Peace was born as a result of it. And I think the, the idea was if we can get children from warring communities to play together, and if we can train the youth from those communities to run, you know, play sessions, the youth are then supported by the community. And the community is supported by NGOs. Right. Then, and, and even if these kids played just one hour a week, they would build a connection that would be so strong that next time they thought of picking up a gun and shooting somebody, they would think about it and say, hey, that's my friend. I played with him when he was young. That's my friend's father. That's my friend's uncle, whatever. Well, that's how it started. Anywhere where we saw children in distress, we went out and just played. That was it. This still continues and uh, you are a part of it still and it grows or how is it right um, now? No, I, I, I kind of hung out with them for about um, a dozen years, uh, part of which I 
Uh, I went around the globe working with and training organizations that were interested in becoming a part of Free for Peace. So I did a lot of global travel at that point in time. In this field, there's this, uh, what we call the grandfather. Mm-hmm. And the grandfather is a person who's been uh, around for a while and knows about it. So <laughs> I kind of, in some ways, took on that stature of being a grandfather. <laughs> and younger people took it on and uh, they're driving it now. Oh, great. So if I have to ask you, is there a second act of yours that you've discovered already? Or is it still to be discovered? Is there something beyond what you're doing, you're seeking or you've reached there? What would you answer on that? (laughs) Okay. So since you're using the analogy of theater, I'm just going to say that this seems like a pretty long play. Somewhere along the way, the script is being written by uh, the state of being of the players. So I I don't know what script I'm writing anymore. Everybody else seems to be writing a script as well. I think this is going to go on for a while. Till till I guess I can't dance and sing and jump around anymore. (laughs) And hopefully that's a few years from now. That will be a long, long, long years from now looking at you and your spirit more than anything. Thank you. So looking forward to doing so many more of such uh, interactions and classes with you. In fact, because I'm enjoying every bit of it myself and would like to promote it to everybody to say that, you know, be a facilitator and have a large heart to share. I think that is my motto from now uh, being with you. What is your learning be? Especially when you're doing multicultural, you know, you've really done trainings all over the world and not only restricted to one culture in India or anywhere else. What is learning when you work with different cultures? If you remember in the last session, we we talked about consciousness. Yeah. And that we need to expand that bubble. I mean, there have been times when uh, we walked into areas that were shooting at each other and uh, they've been doing that for a while and we went into a basement and we played and we found a quieter place and we played. I think what it has taught me is to just be as immensely conscious, regardless of which culture you're in. Mm-hmm. Just be as immensely conscious as you can when you're with people because um, it's not just what you say that matters, who you are, how you're being, how you speak, your expression, everything matters. I'd rather uh, at that point in time, you know, park everything, all my intentions and just focus on the intentions of the group that I'm with. I think that has been my biggest uh, learning through all that. I'm there for them at that point in time. The rest of my life, I can live on my, live by myself, thinking only about me. But at that point in time, whatever I do, I'm doing for them. And if I have to ask you, who is your favorite audience to be with? Is it the kids? Is it teenagers? Is it younger generation? Is it the corporate guys? Is it the old folks? <laughs> Since you have a plethora of people who join in, who is like that one set you enjoy being the most with? I don't have one. And the reason is when, when I step into that space of play, I have found that uh, uh, even old people will 
play with gay abandon as much as a five-year-old. Right. And I think the joy is in that, in that space that's created through play rather than any age group or a specific audience. So any group that plays is, uh, is loads of fun. And I have yet to meet a group that will not play. That's true, but uh, everybody has their uh, preferences. And I clearly hear you that you don't want to spell it out. <laughs> I really don't have one. I mean, is it possible that I don't have one? Oh, well, I will give that to you then. You don't but... like it, do you? <laughs> <laughs> no, because I always think that, you know, the especially when you make want to make a difference, the youth of today need it the most. I feel all the time to, you know, to... Uh, bring in that piece of transformation and which can be so easily brought in through these fun games, tricks, uh, you know, taking them out in spaces. And I thought that they will be probably your best audiences because they grip in so much and uh, they look up to you like what, you know, when you bring in this change in them. So I like your spirit. Uh, to I don't say know, man. I, I, I just want to be clear that I'm not doing any of this to change anybody. I'm doing it because I like doing it. The fact that it affects people deeply is really their thing. Yeah, but the, your intent is as well that or not? No, no. All right. So that's another perspective I'm hearing. Yeah. In fact, when we were doing in-person deep, day one was really spent on that battleground of change. Uh, and the question I used to ask is, why are you here? And people will often, would often say, I'm here to change something. I'm saying, what gave you the right? And I'm asking you this, that we often step out into some space wanting to change something uh, because we think that it should be something else. And my first question is, who gave you the right to do that? Do they even want it? And if they want it, hmm. what are you giving them that you think they're going to gain from? Who decides what's to be given? You or the learner? And that, you know, this whole approach may be debatable, but I can assure you that I have no intention of changing anybody through all the stuff that I'm doing. It just seems to be a happy accident that people, something seems to be happening to people and that's their thing, their responsibility, not mine. So talking to you has really gotten me into deep thinking and uh, literally, <laughs> I'm literally thinking, yeah, wow, that, that is a thought that I actually is so contrary to where I am in this space right now, because my whole thing is about, you know, bringing in transformation to self and people. And you're right to say that, like, did they allow you to, do they need this? Oh yeah, that's great perspective as well. So I'll think about it. And I'm sure that people who are listening to us also getting some food for thought here. Thank you for throwing in another thing because you always leave us uh, with so many deep thoughts, to be honest. And this is one of the sessions which uh, we will do, you know, deeper with you with deep. What else is coming besides deep then? Tell me, Vishwas. You mean in my teaching avatar? Yes. Oh, there's so much, man. Uh, and... Um... Right now, uh, you are probably privy to the fact that we're looking at doing an expedition in 2022. And uh, in an hour or so, we have the second session. 
And I think uh, that's the big one. Uh, I don't know how many people will stick on by the end of it. But um, the whole process of uh, thinking through an expedition is a pretty exciting space. So I think that's what's next. So the preparation starts now and takes about about a year to plan everything. Is that what you're saying? Yep. Wow. And where is this expedition going to be? Nobody knows. Okay. <laughs> this is an expedition that's going to be designed by the participants. So they will decide how long it is for, where they will go, how much they're willing to spend, what they will do, what their personal objectives will be, what learning do they expect to have. Everything will be decided by the participants. My role is, I mean, I will eventually uh, join at least one of those because I'm expecting that there will be at least two different expeditions. Uh, just by nature of what people want. Uh, while currently we're looking at uh, mountains, jungle, water, desert, culture, who knows what's going to emerge. But um, I have, uh, I've in some ways kind of asked for the role of facilitating the entire process. At some point in time, I'll hand it over to the groups. But that's the next big thing just being able to uh, see through something like this. Yeah, it's amazing. We did one. We did one in 2019, uh, and it was different, and there were some lessons from that that uh, we're bringing to this one. So, uh, yes, it's going to be exciting. So if somebody wants to join in still, can they? People would be hearing about this from us right now. So it, do you think they can still join in, or it's already the groups are formed? They can join in, uh, but uh, I think they have to be students of the course because the process that we are using, the language we're going to be using is going to be from the world of experiential methodology. So uh, I don't think uh, the people who, you know, who don't know anything about it but want an expedition will find it very exciting. In your personal space now, because this is all about the work that you put in, in your personal space what do you enjoy doing? Yeah, I have a dog. I used to do a lot of, you know, I'm a biker. And I don't know what people <laughs> understand from that. But, you know, I like taking these long road trips uh, on motorcycle. And uh, I think uh, somewhere in the next year or so, I see, my, uh, I see myself traveling, moving around on that bike. And right now, so uh, so it's dogs, and if it's any other free time that you have, what else do you do? I, I read, I, and I attempt uh, every once in a while, I will dive into doing some wood carving, which I've been <laughs> trying to do for many, many oh. years. So it's a little glimpse of you that we got today. There's lots more that I would love to know about you in your professional and personal space. Maybe that will be the podcast too of our experiential learning with you. <laughs> so thank you, Vishwas, for your time. Really, I appreciate it. Please keep on the good mm. work. And uh, thanks for leaving us with too many questions in our brain right now. So thank you again. Thank you, really. Okay. All right.